Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? This is the Tailgate Podcast. I'm Kevin Borba, your host, and Sergio de Esprea is here as always. And today we have a special guest, Jordan Palmer, the quarterback consultant, the founder of the quarterback consultant. Jordan, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm doing well. Appreciate you guys having me on. Love talking ball. Appreciate you coming on. Tell listeners what you do. I know you're busy during football season as always. Tell listeners what you're involved in, everything that your responsibilities through this crazy football season, off season, in season, everything. Yeah. So I do ball year round now. Uh, It's a pretty good gig um, that I've kind of created and I do it different than uh, there's a lot of people that coach quarterbacks. I just do a little bit different. Um, So in the off season, I'm on the field a lot. And during the season, I'm not on the field at all. And uh, so it breaks it up. Usually, Come January, I'm fired up to get back on the field. And come July, I'm like ready to take a break. So, but I'm doing ball year round. So January, February, March is draft training. I usually train three to four guys. Had an opportunity to work with uh, some of the best young players in the league. And uh, and then uh, I've got a lot of college and college quarterbacks and NFL veteran quarterbacks from, you know, February, March through July. Um, obviously, they go away for OTAs and spring ball and all that stuff, but some guys come in for short periods of time and some guys live here. Um, and, uh, and then in the past, I've done a couple of camps a year for kids this year, I'm going to do a tour. I'm dropping that here pretty soon on December 1st, I'm dropping the dates and it's going to be like a music tour. Basically it's going to be 12 stops, nine States around the country from January 1st through the end of July. Um, coming to a bunch of States across the country, uh, 40 kids at each camp. Um, it uh, is the best camp in the country based off of the impact that I'm able to make. It's not drills. It's not it's just swag. It's um, uh, it's a transformative deal experience. And then during the season, I consult for college and NFL teams. So I'll work with staffs and I'll work with individual players, whether that's breaking down practice tape and game tape every week and, uh, um, and working on just things. I don't try and introduce new things during the season to players. Um, but I'll try and get them back to where they were in the off season. Cause when football happens, mechanics, stuff like that starts to slide. So, um, and then I uh, do a bunch of social media stuff. So in the past I've called games, I've done a bunch of TV and stuff. And um, as I've tried to figure out like, what's my role in this whole media world, what I've realized is that traditional media is dead and it's dying a slow death. Um, and I just don't have any desire to be on ESPN. I don't think ESPN is going to be around that long. So um, I started uh hired a uh, production company and started shooting stuff for TikTok and Instagram and really quickly kind of blown up doing breakdowns and just responding to what people like. Uh, I don't really talk trash on people. I I think this position is really hard to to do and really hard to play. And and it's often 
talked about. And so for me, uh, I try and highlight what guys are doing. That's just really hard. You know what I mean? And we don't, we don't respect these guys enough and credit, credit them enough. So quick to tear people down. So, um, so yeah, so on, on Instagram and, and TikTok, I'm Jordan Palmer and I'm breaking stuff down regularly during the season, this off season, I'm, I'm getting a new studio here. It's going to be sick. And so this off season, I don't know, see what people want. Probably a lot more interviews, more podcast style, more sit down, more background, more teaching. I'm throw the marker and, and the eraser in a starting famous NFL quarterback's hands and let him teach you guys some ball. And I don't know. We'll see where we go. Lots coming up. Lots coming up a lot. That's exciting. Exciting for you. Exciting for the future of the quarterback position. Honestly, if they get a chance to work with you, sounds like a great opportunity. Um, we'll just dive right into it with our first question. Um, you've worked with a lot of good college quarterbacks, a lot of great college quarterbacks. Is there any programs this, this year or players this year that have surprised you in a positive way? I know you like to say, like you said, you like to be positive. Is there someone that caught you off guard more than you expected? Um, I don't know that I was surprised. I think I would say pleased to see that it worked out this way so far as CJ Stroud at Ohio State. You know, he had a rocky start and missed a game with an injury. Then the other guys went in and all that and never really played meaningful snaps. And um, so I'm not surprised at his success, but I am uh, very, very pleased and fired up that that it's clicked this early for him. So not surprised, just wasn't sure how early it was going to click, you know, some football's hard and quarterback's hard. And so just because some guy won the elite 11 doesn't mean that his first game, he's going to, you know, get off to a historic pace, take some guys a little bit to get going. And, and it didn't take CJ that long. Yeah. CJ Stroud, someone that we've commonly defended on this show or at the beginning of the season, at least um, there's no need to yeah. defend him now. Um, People obviously overreacted after that tough Minnesota game. Um, that was, like you said, his first true experience of playing meaningful snaps. And I think, like you said, people are just too quick to jump to conclusions about what people should be doing at the quarterback position. Give us like an insight from someone, because I know your freshman year probably didn't go as well as you liked at UTEP. Um, give us like an insight on what it's like to struggle a little bit and then find success. Well, I think – you got to learn, right? So let's say, let's keep it really simple, right? Like to play quarterback in college, you've got a lot to learn. Well, okay. Some of that you're going to learn through experience and playing before college, high school, whether you started four years in high school, I only started one year in high school. Um, uh, you've just been playing quarterback since you were in third grade or, I mean, the only year I ever played quarterback was my senior year in high school. Every other year I played a different position. Uh, and not because I was a badass, but because like I wasn't, I didn't beat the other quarterback out. I didn't get a chance to play. So I only had, I only played, I played 14 games and I got yanked at half every week because I was on the best team, I think in the country and we beat the brakes off of everybody. And so I got pulled at halftime. So I kind of like played seven full games before I went to college, but some, some guys start playing in third grade and they started all four years. Right. And so there's a lot of stuff you can learn before you get there. And there's the stuff you're going to learn, like in the classroom, teaching you the offense, teaching you the defense and all that. Then there's just the mechanical stuff you're going to learn on the field with your coaches, private guy, with your quarterback coach, you know, throwing with other guys in the offseason. So you're going to take all this stuff that you're going to learn. And if this was school and it was math and you're going to take all that stuff that you're going to learn, you're going to sit down in a, with a test. Right. And you're going to have however much time to go through that test, work out your answers and nobody's staring at you. And you can kind of sit there and figure out, sit in your thoughts and try to figure out the answers to that math test. Well, the test for these quarterbacks, that's not the situation. CJ started Ohio State with high expectations. So just because somebody doesn't get an A plus on the first test, um, it just doesn't mean anything in the scheme of things. And we, whether it's rookies, 
watching Trevor Lawrence struggle and now start to look pretty good. Like that's not surprised by that. I'm not caught off guard by that. Um, I just think, look, there's so much stuff you got to learn. And then when you get in games, it's not a test. You are continuing to learn now from game situations and environmental situations, whether that's weather or crowd noise or the way that TV timeouts in primetime games stop and delay games differently than non-national TV, just like all the elements. And so you got to learn on the fly and you got to learn in front of everybody. And then, you know, these kids got to go on Twitter after the game and hear everybody's opinion of how their learning process is going. And a hundred percent of those people actually don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Twitter, Twitter gives everybody a voice, which isn't a great thing. Go ahead, Sergio. No, um, no, you just, Jordan, you've brought up CJ Stroud a couple of times now, and I'm just very curious as to how much of an advantage it may be for a young quarterback like Stroud to have arguably one of the best wide receiver rooms in the country at Ohio state, that relationship and that development as a quarterback and as someone who, like what Barbara was talking about, maybe it wasn't as um, you expected at the beginning of your collegiate career versus later on, how much of a help do you think it is for someone like CJ Stroud to have a veteran wide receiver room um, stability in the program with, you know, the coach with Ryan Day, who's been on, who was on staff earlier with Urban Meyer. So it's kind of a continuous thing. How much of an advantage is it for a quarterback, a young quarterback like that to grow and develop in an environment like that versus I know we're doing NFL in college, but like, you know, with Trevor Lawrence over in Jacksonville, where it's a new staff, new organization, talent is not as high as it is relative to the level of play that they're at. How much of an advantage is it to have that kind of support staff there versus not having it? It's night and day. And so let's think about it. it not just because like statistics or, mm-hmm. you know, it's really good to throw to good guys. No, no, right. let's just look at it from a way a quarterback goes through progression. Okay. So let's say that I've got a pure progression. I'm going to start with, number one, and then I'm going to go to number two, and then I'm going to go to number three. And if those guys are open, I'm going to run. Okay. If you are playing with bad receivers who can't win, then you might have to go from one to two to three. And I I don't know, did you have time to do that? Like, how's your own line? Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're going through those progressions, you're memorizing the play and you've got all these elements going on. And I'm trying to go from one to two to three. That's a lot of stuff happening for a young quarterback. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have, I think Ohio State's arguably going to go down as one of the best receiving rooms of all time. I don't know. These guys are all going to be scary. Right. So if that's the case and CJ is going to probably win a Heisman this year, next year, I don't know. So if that's the case, then number one's open a lot. (laughs) And if he's not open, it's probably because they double covered him, which means number two is going to be really open. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Like, so it just, it makes that whole process oversimplified, but it makes that whole process easier. Um, and then you're going to get bailed out. I mean, I saw with the play, I don't even know the guy's name. It was like an out route to the left. And he just at, like changed direction three or four times and then went like another 60 and scored. Like everyone's like, you know, this 80 yard touchdown pass. It's like, that was an eight yard out. Like, hold on. That's just like drives over. They get, they just gave us seven points yeah. like off an eight yard out. So when you can get bailed out, not, not that he needed to get bailed out, but like when you can throw a slant and he scores, that's like, we don't have to run all these plays to get a touchdown now. We just got one here. Like, those things add up over time, right? Yeah. So you put a clip together of all the plays these Ohio State receivers will have made by the end of the year. It's going to be like 100 points. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not insignificant. Yeah. Can you notice on the reading the defense side of the ball, just to continue this C.J. Stroud, Ohio State analogy, you look at the one game they lost against Oregon, and you have arguably the number one pick in the draft in Thibodeau. Granted, it was a little bit hurt that game. 
um, and at times came out. But when defensively what they did against Ohio State to get that win, Oregon, um, when you're reading those defenses and seeing those changes within the game, how do you adapt from seeing a scheme difference that, okay, I maybe didn't work out the way we worked it with in, in during install during the week in the first half, but in the second half, they're doing this different thing. How do you adjust in the game to those defensive uh, adjustments? Well, I, I think there's protocols in place for that. So it's okay. not as simple as, Hey, we tried this play. It's not working because of what they're doing. Let's try a different play. That, mm -hmm. Certainly there's an element of that, but um it's not even the plays that you're changing. It might just be the same exact protection that we have called, but Hey, listen up guys, they're doing this. We've got to make this adjustment. So I know we talked about doing it this way, but now everybody listening. Okay. Now when we do this, this is what we need to do. And so it's, 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 a, that's what an adjustment is, right? Like saying like we ran, tried running it to the right. We can't do it. Let's try running it to the left. That, that's oversimplified, but Hey, in college, like they're only going to run three or four protections passing protections in terms of who's blocking who. So you're not going to make up a new one on the fly. You're going to say, Hey, look, normally we're going to combo these four guys to that Sam linebacker. They're not bringing the Sam they're bringing the will over there. So when we when, when, when CJ says this, we're going to slide that way. So it's like adjusting what we've been working on, but let's make that adjustment. And every team does that at every level. And the really good coaches have set aside protocols and, and, and like, I'm trying to think of the term it's more it's more like system based like you don't want to sit there and have a bunch of people learn a bunch of new stuff on the sideline it's like hey we've talked about this we're going to shift to kind of the second option here um and so the really well-prepared teams the coaches that win a lot of championships and make a lot of money usually make really good adjustments because they kind of have the framework to make that adjustment mm -hmm. make sense yeah i got you thank you I have a question about adjustment since we're on the subject matter. Um, we were actually going to ask you about this a little bit later, but Texas, um, they've lost their last five games. And in three of five, they've had double digit leads. And going into the half, especially the Oklahoma game, it looked like the first half looked like a team that could have been a playoff team. And then the second half looked like they didn't realize that they could, the other teams could make adjustments. Could you comment on like the lack of adjustments that you've seen from Texas or are the other adjustments just better? To be honest with you, I haven't seen Texas a ton this year. Um, I don't watch from like a fan's perspective. I'm watching a lot of the guys I work with. And I just, uh, to this point, I haven't worked with anybody from Texas. So I kind of end up not watching them play. Um, so I, I don't, I can't speak with, you know, hey, this, this quarter, this game. Hmm. Um, but I mean, look, it's a new coaching staff. And those things that I just talked about, putting in those processes, those programs, I mean, uh, it takes a little while. Uh, and you got to spend so much, when you come to a new program, like it takes, you guys spend so much time trying to keep the recruits that you have committed, trying to flip the recruits from where you were to come with you, <laughs> keep the players who were like, mm, I don't know, we'll see on the team from entering the portal. And I just talked about three really important things before I said anything about coaching, right? Then you got to install a whole new mindset and a new culture and a new belief system and a new accountability network. And then you got to install a new offense and a new defense and a new special teams. And you got to hire a staff. Like everybody, like, should they have lost five straight? No, this is Texas. They shouldn't have, but like, they're gonna be fine. Sark's gonna build a great program there. You know what I mean? And I, but I get it, but we don't want to be patient. We deserve to win now. No, you don't. Fans don't deserve anything, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, you, you're a fan, be a fan. You can boo when they suck. You can cheer when they're good.
but I just hear so many people going, we deserve better than why? Cause you donate money. So uh, people need to be patient. This is really hard. There's so many moving parts. And I, if I could place a bet somewhere that Texas was going to be just fine pretty soon, I'd put a bunch of money on. Well, Borba, since we're talking about our teams and um, recent uh, letdowns, I am a Florida fan. I'm born and raised in South Florida and went to UF and all that. There's an interesting quarterback situation at Florida right now where Emory Jones, who for Florida fans listening, hold on to your hats, has been pretty good lately, um, is the starting quarterback. And then you have Anthony Richardson, born and raised in Gainesville, three, five, two tattooed on his arm, gator through and through where's 15 because of Tebow, all that emotional stuff. How do you deal when you're such a heralded quarterback coach like Dan Mullen's reputation is to be with, you know, Alex Smith, Dak Prescott and Debo and all this stuff, both at collegiate and the pro levels. Um, how do you deal with in, in a quarterback room, having two starting caliber players that the only difference is experience and maybe, I mean, you know, I'm not in the room every day, so I can't really say this with any validity, but you know, at least the, the belief from, watching games and such is that maybe the backup has a bit more talent than the starter, but the starter has a lot more of the playbook under his belt. How does that quarterback room and that dynamic work when, you know, maybe this guy is the right answer for right now, but the guy behind him is the answer for the long run. How does that relationship work both on the team and maybe with just within the room and maybe, you know, the other guys that play that position. It's tricky, man. It's hard. We see it every year, every level, mm -hmm. high school, college, and pro. How'd you like to be in Georgia quarterback room right now? <laughs> JT Daniels is absolutely capable. Oh, yeah. If JT Daniels goes in there, they're going to win the national championship. Mm -hmm. Right? They could probably still do it with, 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 uh, but Stetson they could Bennett. probably still do it with Stetson Bennett. Yeah. Point. You know what I mean? But he's playing at a high level. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but he's a former walk on and he's only Who five cares? of us. I don't know. He's playing at a high level. It's like yeah. nobody saw that coming. Right. So, uh, nobody saw JT's injuries coming in Florida. I think it's the same thing, right? Emery's as talented as you need to be, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and he's got a guy behind him who's come in and played well when he's had an opportunity. So uh, as a coach, I've never been a coach in that capacity, but boy, would I hate to be in a situation where I've got two quarterbacks. I've got to get both of them to be bought in. I can't play favorites. I can't look at one more than I look at the other. I can't mm -hmm. have them one in front of the other one in line. And it's just like, to deal with that's really, really difficult. Um, but at the same point, it's it's part of the game. Injuries make that happen. Poor performance. Another guy comes off the bench and plays well. Problem that happens is when uh, everybody wants the starter to get benched and the backup comes in and and like a really, a really routine thing happens and it makes them look really good. Mm -hmm. This happened with the Bears in preseason when, look, Matt Nagy did not want to start Justin Fields right away. He wasn't ready. It's okay. Care for the 11th pick? You're not ready yet. I'd rather you sit and watch. Mm -hmm. And then they foolishly called two plays. I remember in his first preseason game, they called two plays. It was like a pull-up throwback. Like I was running over out, push something, I went mm -hmm. back. That's like the easiest throw you can make, right? There's no read. There's no progression. You just pull up and throw back a touchdown. In a pre in preseason, they're not expecting that, right? And it was like they just put themselves in a situation where everyone's going to go, see, he's ready. And it's like, no, he's not. That's a very easy play to make. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. what happens is you got a starter. He doesn't play well or he gets hurt. And the backup comes in and throws like two screens for a touchdown and, and like a guy's wide open, he hits him and everyone goes, Oh, see. And so these coaches get put in these tough spots. And I'm not saying that's exactly what's happened with Emory Jones and Richardson, but, um, but yeah, I think it's a tough thing. The players don't know who to 
lean into and, and talk, you know, you got a wide out who's like, Hey, how deep you want me to be on this? And it's like, he's got to ask two guys and he yeah. can't really pick. So that stuff I think adds up. And that's why I think people say, if you've got two quarterbacks, you've got no quarterback. So that's what Borba says. Borba <laughs> says that to me earlier this year with this specific situation. You could touch um, that onto my forehead. Um, I was yeah, going to ask about the, about the elite 11 process. Um, when you have all these guys that are basically the top players at all their schools and have never, I won't say never experienced um, adversity playing wise, but like most of the time they're the best player from grade school until that point, unless there's a rare case. But um, yep. do you think that they are kind of not prepared for this new era of like, you might have to sit one year and then wait your turn or just transfer right away. Uh, like, like I'll say like back when you play, like you, most of the time, unlike you, you started when you were young, but a lot of people had to sit a couple of years, wait for the senior to graduate. And then it was their turn. These guys, it seems like I'll come in as a freshman. I'm not starting. It's my time to transfer. Do you think that's more of a factor into where these kids are going to school and does it factor into how you help them? Yeah, I think we have a big issue with youth sports in general, but really I can just say that I can speak to the quarterback position. I don't know high school basketball, but we've got a massive entitlement issue dudes are super entitled and I'm not, it's not an indictment on one person. It's not an indictment on the parents or anything like that. It's just, I've been part of Elite 11 for 25 years. I was a little kid when it started and it's just getting worse and worse. And so the problem is these guys are so celebrated at a young age and this is all before they started making money. You interview me and ask me the exact same question in five years. And I bet you my answer is way more drastic. <laughs> it's going to get really bad. So these guys are just like, everything's done for them. And, um, and I'll just speak on myself. I went to high school. We we're, you know, the best team in the state and maybe the best team in the country. I don't know. We had a great program. Um, I was like the fifth or sixth best player on my team. And I only had one offer come out of high school. And, uh, and when I got hurt, I drove to the back of Dr. Legome's office and I went right up in front. I never signed any paperwork. I was in and out. And my entire class schedule was coaches and I got good grades and Everything was done and everything was easy. And it's like, that was 2002. I was pre-internet, pre-social media. Like I wasn't the number one recruit in the country. I wasn't the number one recruit on my team. Like, so, and I still, and then I, and then I went to college and then, you know, it's all done for you. And there's, you know, training table and food and all this stuff. And then you go to the NFL, you get an agent and then people are paying you to do things, to show up to things. And then you get all this money for playing football and all that and stuff. And it's like, so here I am 37, like I still fight that entitlement. I still like get in line somewhere and like something in me is like, I don't want to be in line right now. And so that was me. That was not the number one recruit in the country with all this stuff and making money, all that. So it's not an indictment on any one person, but what happens is so much is done for these guys and they work hard to get there. I'm not discounting that. So much is done for these guys. And now we're sitting here going, I'm going to pay you money and you can hold the school hostage by sitting here going, I'm entering the portal and I'm going to transfer right now. Like we've just given them so much power that it's going to be hard for them to justify going, you know what? This situation sucks, but I'm going to ride it out. They have to be raised really, really well, which is why and I'm jumping around here a little bit. This is why like Mac Jones, who I've never met or I met him at elite 11. So I, but I don't know Mac Jones. Like I'm so impressed by this guy for sitting at Alabama for three or four years. Like in an era where guys go, screw this, I'm going to whatever, North Dakota State. Like, and he just didn't. And he just sat there. 
and probably thought he was better than Tua and probably thought he was better than Jalen Hurts and probably told his girlfriend and his parents, man, I'm better than this guy. I know it, but stayed. And then when he got his chance, he didn't need five weeks to get rolling. Boom, started off hot. So it's just like, and now look at him in the league, right? So it's just like, that's not as rewarded or celebrated as much, right? So I look at Michigan and I go, I wonder what J.J. McCarthy is really thinking right now. Because Cade McNamara is mm, playing the best football in the country or the top three football in the country when I watch quarterbacks play right now in terms of like not making any mistakes, keeping his team in every game. And when they let him throw it, he's balling. And so like, but today's day and age, I don't know. And maybe J.J.'s going to transfer. I don't know. Like, but and, and I'm just using him as an example because yeah, guys come out of high school and it's all right there. And the expectations are that they're going to go and do this. And some cases they're not ready to some cases they are ready to, it's just not their turn. It's just like, they're not going to bench the other guy. And, you know, I think the ones that can handle those situations early in college better are the ones that are set up to deal with the NFL BS. The guys who have to have it perfect and jump around I have a, I am uniquely positioned to have an opinion on this. Those guys suck as pros. You want to list of your busts at an NFL quarterback position? It's the dudes that can't handle that. It's the dudes that need the situation to be exactly where they hope to be. So there's a correlation between how they handle the recruiting process, how they handle their college ups and downs, and then whether or not that pans out for them in the NFL. And for me, it is crystal clear. The, your ability to handle success and adversity, those two things, is how good you are. If you can handle success, but adversity is hard for you and you're kind of like not that good, you're done. And if you're really good at adversity and you've you got a chip on your shoulder and you're like a Baker Mayfield, right? I'm a walk-on twice. I'm a Heisman finalist three times. Like if you're an adversity guy and then you get a ton of success and it kind of like changes you and it affects you, you're also done. The list of the guys that are the names that we celebrate on Sundays are awesome at handling success and adversity. Okay. Um, Sergio, if you don't mind, I have another question for Jordan real quick before you get yours in. Um, does that ever factor into your teachings or at your camps or at the elite 11s? Like, do you use the Mac Jones story as like, this, this is what could happen if you're patient and wait your turn. Or do you ever use like, I don't want to throw Tate Martell under the bus and you don't have to like comment on it, but the Tate Martell situation where he kind of had a colorful recruiting process, went to Ohio state, transferred, had some interesting tweets, and now he's a backup receiver at UNLV. Do you ever try to use those stories from other guys to try to enlighten the quarterbacks that you're working with on, although it's not the perfect situation right away, it could be a perfect situation if you wait. Yeah. I mean, I talk about success and adversity a lot and there's just a long list of examples for both, right. Um, guys that are really good at handling both those situations. Like I just mentioned Baker Mayfield. Well, he was offensive rookie of the year and then he shot a lot of commercials kind of looked a little pudgy and he had a bad second year. And then that next offseason, got married, looked really good, you know, like off the field. Um, I heard all these rumors about how hard he's training and all that stuff. And he learned that oh, I didn't handle success very good. Came back, had a really good year last year. Right. So you just look at it and you go like some guys are really good at handling one of them. Some of them have more experience at handling that. Right. So I just haven't seen the journey. Like my, my this, you guys, this is audio, but like my, my logo is a mountain range summit. And it's like kind of homonym. There's like two meanings behind it. One, it's the highest peak. Um, and, and two, it's like a gathering of leaders, like a summit. But really what it is, is a representation of like, there's your journey. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. That's, that's what it is. 
like you think about my brother. So my brother was the number one recruit in the country, won a Heisman trophy, was the number one pick in the draft. And when he retired, he was the highest paid player in NFL history at that time. Okay. So you'd go, dude, that was a pretty good career. Right. Like the two times he tore his ACL the first time was in the playoffs when they were the best team in the league. They had already beaten the Steelers twice. They were going to beat them a third time. The Steelers won the Super Bowl that year. The second time he tore his ACL, they were 10 and one in Arizona. He never got hurt when they sucked. Like he had some tough off the field stuff that no one knows about. Like happened the night before the game. You know what I mean? Like you just don't know all the stuff these guys are dealing with. But the fact that you guys, not you guys, but the fact that like people don't remember my brother and go, his two best seasons were the seasons right after he tore his ACL, statistically speaking. Like he was runner up for MVP in the league the year after he tore his ACL and went to the NFC championship. Right. And you're just like, well, that just shows you that guy's really good at handling adversity. Right. And then, you know, your Heisman trophy and the number one pick and all that, and had a bunch of success. And like his had really good years after he had a good year too. And, and I just like, there's a ton of guys you could say that about Tom Brady. He wins his first Super Bowl. You know, what he does next year wins another one. So he's good at handling success. And then, the year where he lost Welker and they traded away Randy Moss and then Ern Hernandez killed somebody. And then all this crazy stuff's happening. And they don't like, he like barely lost in the AFC championship that year. Like he handles adversity well too. So I just think it, there's the, these guys know other, the other stories. And so what I try and do is go, listen, you need to get really good at those two things. So I, every year I've got a handful of guys having a really bad year. Every year I've got two or three guys who have season ending injuries. Every year I have two to three guys who have life changing, their life will never be the same way again, types of years. Last year, Josh Allen, the year before Joe Burrow, and this year, Cade McNamara and, and, uh, and Desmond Ritter. Like, so every year it's like a different, it's, a, I see the same stuff every year, it's just different guys, right? And so what I try and tell the guys that are going through really hard times is, hey, this is as quality of reps as you're gonna get at handling adversity. And when guys are having life changing, incredible years, I go, hey, this is success like you've never had before. Stop, take it in, enjoy it, but learn how to be able to internalize your emotions at this peak of just like elation to where you can continue to do this at a high level and it doesn't corrupt you. Those are reps. It's not just life. Those are reps. And the dudes who can hear that and apply that are the guys you've heard of. The guys who have a hard time internalizing that and actually doing something with it are the guys you have not heard of. Yeah. Wow, that, that makes, I mean, for us who, you know, I played, what, two years of peewee football and five foot 10. I've never been on, been in a way to be in part of that kind of, you know, high school, collegiate, professional environment. So to hear that, that's a, that's more of a life lesson too, not just, you know. Oh, not it's just totally true. It's yeah. like, I'm a dad, right? When I have my first kid, like you're in the hospital, you have the kid and the doctor, like, all right, you guys are checking out and like, here, keep this thing alive. It's like. <laughs> Dude, that's hard, man. I don't care how many nieces and nephews you have. That shit's hard. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's totally life stuff. So would you would you recommend if a player is physically able to, you know, start right away, like has the talent, you know, has the physical traits, all that stuff, would you recommend that they sit even if they're maybe not mentally – and by mentally, I just mean, you know. Yeah, NFL-wise, I think everybody should sit unless – the criteria is that this guy is just, he's just ready. You play him right now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we're kind of getting numb to this, right? So Kyler Murray was really the first number one, first draft pick where like he was the starter of the day of the draft. 
You mm-hmm. could argue oh, yeah. two months before the draft, he was the starter, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't make him compete. And, and then the next year, Joe Burrow, right? I don't even yeah. know the name of the backup that they had there, right? Like he was the starter. It was Ryan Finley from NC State. And that's because I'm a when My brother was the number one pick. <laughs> he didn't play a snap his rookie year. He was the three. They wanted him to sit and watch. Uh, Mark Sanchez did a great piece on this on Fox um, mm-hmm. uh, a couple months ago. And he said it, he did a like study on it. And he was like, hey, in 2008, it changed everything. For some reason, around 2008 is when they started drafting people and expecting them to play. And it just, that wasn't that long ago, 2008. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I'm not talking about 1974. Like, it wasn't that long ago. And it started with, I think, like Stafford and then, you know, Bradford. And and it started, like, expecting these guys to play. Jamarcus Russell was in there. Jamarcus, my year. And Mm -hmm. so, actually, no, Jamarcus didn't play right away. He's the cutoff, 07. Oh, okay. He's the car. Right. He's the last one where they go, hold on, this guy's got to sit. Right. The next year, I don't know. They started saying these guys got to play. So something kind of happened. And so the expectation is that. And then you have a Patrick Mahomes situation and you go, oh, see. But I just, I look at it and I go, these teams, if they know who they're drafting, mm-hmm. so Jacksonville Jaguars, they knew exactly what they were getting in Trevor Lawrence. He started for three years. It's everything about his life is well documented. Then get yourself a solid backup who can come in and play and who can be smart and give him some thoughts about what he's been other places. And if you're drafting somebody who from this draft, like Zach Wilson, right. Where talent and all this stuff's off the charts, but you know what? He's played at BYU. He was in a quarterback competition like 18 months ago Mm -hmm. at BYU. You know what? I'm not sure. Let me get somebody in here who can play. We'll let Zach compete. If he's ready, he's ready. If he's not, let's just sit him or Justin Fields. Well, hold on. He's played at Ohio State. Pretty much every game he's played in, his team's better than the other team, right? And the system's very simple. It's not how we do it here. So let's, you know what? Let's have Andy Dalton come in and start. And let's, let's put this guy in when he's ready. Like, that's the model. That's what they tried to do in Chicago. The problem is the fan bases, the fans are too impatient. Ironically, they screw themselves over. They push so hard to get that guy in there instead of just like, let it marinate for a second. Mm-hmm. Like literally let it marinate, <laughs> incubate, <laughs> marinate, whatever you want to call it. Like let that happen for a second. And, um, and so I, ironically, it's the pressure from the fan bases that Michigan right? fan base wants JJ McCarthy. It's like, are you guys watching right now? Right. AJ's going to be a star. He's going to be a great player. You got a guy playing really well right now. Wait for him to suck before you put the other guy in. Yeah. What if he's not ready? What if it's not the same yet? So. Borba, I'll give you the last question. I know Jordan's got to get going here. Is there a quarterback or team in particular? I'll go quarterback in particular that you've worked with where their growth has just been out of this world that like, like you feel like a proud dad almost. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I think I I spent some time. I don't know if it's. I've spent some time with some staffs, right? I work with the staff um, and two come to mind that I had no previous connection with. Spent some time this offseason with the staffs and implemented some things. Oklahoma State and SMU. And if you just look at what they're doing on offense, SMU, I mean, they should be undefeated right now. They barely lost to Houston. They should be undefeated in that group of five right on the cusp kind of thing. And uh, Mordecai transferred from Oklahoma to come in. He's had a you know, I think he was up until a week ago, was like leading the nation in a bunch of stuff. Oklahoma State, Spencer Sanders. Ironically, I don't even train the quarterbacks. 
just work with staffs. And so just to see the evolution of those players um, to come in and, and up their game has been really cool. Um, you know, these guys, like Cade McNamara, I started working with him in sixth grade. So um, it's pr pretty cool to see him doing this on this level. And um, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of these guys. But, but uh, yeah, Cade, I think you start working with somebody since sixth grade, that starts to um, starts to mean something a little differently. And uh, JT Daniels in seventh grade, um, my prediction is that at some point it's his ball again and there's your national champ. So, um, so that'd be, that'd be fun. When I think when that, I think when that happens, well, Jordan, it's a college football show. So before you go, who's your playoff for at the end of the season? Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the season, man, I don't know. I think you got to have the problem with Oregon is <laughs> thank <Pac> you. <laughs> yes. As someone who works for the PAC 12, I could attest to that. The problem I grew up in the Pac-12. I've been to as many Pac-10 football games as anybody. Like, I just I, – I, what you really don't want to see this year is somebody make it in and get the brakes beaten off of them. Yeah. yeah. And so what I would say is between Cincinnati, Michigan, Oregon, who else is in that mix? Um, Ohio State, well, kind of. No, no. I think Ohio State, Bama, and Georgia, Georgia are kind of like up there and like those three teams – Okay. You could easily win it. Right? Uh, you, you could see it. You could make a case for Oklahoma right now. You could make a case. I mean, if things fall really crazy, maybe the committee would consider Notre Dame, given that they put them at eight this week. So, okay. So, I wouldn't on either of those two. So, there you go. So, the other three, let's say Cincinnati, Michigan, um, and Oregon. And you go, look, of those three teams, the team most susceptible to like show up and get whooped is like, I don't know, maybe Oregon. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can make the case for Cincinnati. Yeah. I won't. I think Cincinnati's really good. I think they. I think Cincinnati can go in there and. I agree. Can run it. They're getting better at the right time. Right? They got a great secondary and they got a great quarterback that could lead them. Great quarterback, great secondary. They got playmakers outside. Really smart coaches. Yep. So this is the crazy thing. Cincinnati should have beat Georgia last year. So yes. I don't know if you guys know this. Have you ever seen the highlights? So at the end of the game, they do a sprint right, and Josh Wiley comes across in motion and runs a flat route. It's a pick route to get him open. Mm -hmm. And there's a corner out, a high angle corner out. And Josh Wiley, and I don't fault him for this, but like he didn't get the ball. So trying to make a play, he turns up field. Well, Desmond throws the corner out. Corner out's wide open for a touch for like a 70 yard walk off game winning touchdown. But because Wiley didn't get it and then curved up field, the guy covering Wiley ends up, his eyes inside, turns, sprints, and barely tips it. It's like, well, that changes the way that we enter the season right now. Absolutely. If Cincinnati had gone undefeated last year and beat Georgia, Who's destroying everyone this year? Who's and killing it's basically everybody. the same defense? They yeah. would have like started at three or two. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like, like this ranking thing's crazy. Like they need to have twelve or fourteen teams. But like, right. The crazy yeah. thing is, is that like, it's like, are you kidding me? That's like a, they say it's a game of inches. It's a game of inches. Like that was a difference of inches, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I'd love to see. Um, I, I'd love to see. I, well, one. I don't – I think Michigan-Ohio State is going to be a game. I can see Michigan beating Ohio State. This is one of the few years – this is one of the few years in recent memory that it's like, oh, no, we have to legitimately consider this to be not a toss-up, but, you know, it's one of the well, best – Well, how did Oregon beat Ohio State? Uh, pressure and – Defense. They ran the ball. Yeah. They ripped off 50-yard runs. Michigan State runs the ball better than Oregon. So, right there, I go, okay, well, Michigan has the ability to run the ball – Maybe it was a bad game. I don't know, but whatever. That's how they lost. Right. I think it was a backup running back too. Mm -hmm. 50 yarders ripping them. Right. So it's like, okay, Michigan can run the ball on them. 
at Michigan State game, I mean, you know, had a fumble at the end, crazy stuff happened. But I mean, Cade was like 70% and threw for 385 on Michigan State mm-hmm. in a losing effort. So it's like, okay, so if they're going to do that, they can throw on them too. Uh, that game's at Michigan. And, you know, you got a young team over there in Ohio State who hasn't played in that type of atmosphere. So I would just look at that game and I go, one of those two teams is going to be in. I'm not, I'm not writing Ohio State in pen. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I would say it's Ohio State or Michigan in that, that third spot. And then I'd like to see Cincinnati. Nice. Nice. We love I think it. We're, we're very similar there. Yeah, I think we're similar. We, we love the group of five appreciation from you, Jordan. We love it. 100%. Especially, it'd be one thing if they were hot this year. Desmond yes. Ritter is going to end up the second or third winningest quarterback in college football history. They're not going to lose three games. They're going to lose one game or no games this year, right? Yeah. So he's going to end up second or third. That's it. So it's like they've been doing this for a minute. Yeah, Cincinnati's been like that. It's just whether the committee wants to give them respect or find reasons to put other schools like Oregon ahead of them just because of that group of five kind of bias towards not being in the playoff. Well, we appreciate you for joining us, Jordan. Um, you guys can find him on Instagram at Jordan Palmer, at TikTok on Jordan, at Jordan Palmer. Um, watches a League 11 journey, everything else. Jordan Palmer, Instagram. Thank you for joining us on the Tailgaters podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep, no problem. Have a good one. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.